And now from Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, 8 through 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but with a dis- from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. And from Luke 12, verses 32 through 40. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit by those who are waiting for their master, like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet, so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Holy wisdom, holy words. Good morning again. Several years ago, a pastoral intern made his way to the inner city community where he was to be assigned for a year. It was the middle of summer, and as he walked from his apartment to the church that first day, he noticed that there were a lot of people just hanging out on the doorsteps and the patios. After about a week of walking to and from the church and encountering these same people each day, he finally up to ask some of the people why they were just milling around. First, he happened to talk with a small group of high school-aged guys. They told him that they were all on the football team, but that the high school gym was closed for the summer. 
They did not have money to join a gym, and even if they had, there was no gym close enough to make it feasible. He quietly heard what they had to say and went on his way to the church. And when he arrived, one of the longtime members was there meeting with the pastor. So the intern interrupted and joined in their conversation. The longtime member asked how his first week had gone, and the intern responded, I think it's going okay, but are any of those high school students involved here? I see them every day when I walk to and from the church. It turns out that they were not involved, and there was no plan for outreach. But upon hearing that the youth did not have access to a gym, the longtime member said, you know, I think I still have my son's old weight set in the garage. Maybe I could bring it in and we could open up one of those old classrooms in the basement a few times a week. The pastor reluctantly agreed under the condition that the intern oversee this new outreach program. And soon after, almost 20 of the neighborhood boys were stopping by the church at least three days a week to use that weight set. The pastoral intern continued to walk through the neighborhood and saw that there were still a number of others who did not seem to have a place to be. Through a number of subsequent conversations, he learned of other needs. Young mothers had to carry their laundry baskets over a mile to the nearest laundromat and take their young children with them. So the church invested in some washers and dryers for them to use. And when it became clear that the young kids were still bored while their moms were doing the laundry, the church cleaned up the old preschool rooms and let the kids play. The excitement of having people from the neighborhood in the church during the week became contagious. And that congregation that previously had no outreach programs began to reimagine how unused spaces could be used. The pastoral intern contacted his seminary and asked for ideas of how to connect with other social service agencies and organizations. And at the end of his year at the church, they had expanded from no outreach to weight sets for teenage athletes, to washers and dryers for young mothers, to preschool classes for young kids, to computer training courses for those re-entering society after incarceration, to a community dinner where the congregation and the community dined together and learned about each other and began to recognize each other as friends and neighbors. And even when they had dreamed themselves out and no longer had a vision for what could follow, they asked themselves, who is missing from among us? Who is next? Where is God leading us to further our presence in this community and welcome this community into the life of this church? While the congregation recognized that the work they were doing was institutional in nature, they also acted individually and acted personally in an effort to have a positive effect on that community. About six years ago, I was asked to preach at a different church. And much like I often do, I spoke on the need for Christians to continually ask the question, who is my neighbor, and act accordingly. After the homily during fellowship hour, one of the parishioners approached me and said, you can save the social justice stuff for other churches. We already created a feeding program. That was my reaction. <laughs> I was a little bit surprised by the attitude, but unfortunately I can't say I was shocked. 
At that time, the church consisted of about 60 people on any given Sunday. And the core, core group of that church all participated in the choir. And while they were encouraged to join the congregation after singing their anthem, they chose instead to stay in the choir loft. And when it came time to pass the peace, they stayed in the choir loft. And they only passed the peace to themselves. Even beyond the visible divide that existed in the church, there were unspoken actions that demonstrated the notion of stranger rather than friend. Those who benefited from that feeding program were told to use the back door in the back alley rather than any of the main doors of the church. And on the off chance that anyone from the feeding program attempt to attend the church, they were swiftly told that there were no meals being served on Sundays. The congregation understood that their feeding program was institutional outreach, but they believed that they had done their part by creating this feeding program. They believed their work was done. They did not understand that personal outreach and mission is just as important as institutional outreach. And because they believed that they had completed their task with this one program, they failed to ask, who is missing from among us? Who is next? Where is God leading us to further our presence in this community and welcome this community into the life of this church? It should come as no surprise then that over the past six years, this congregation went from a group of about 60 to a group of 15. And it should also not be a surprise that sometime in the next two months, this church will close its doors. In the lessons this morning, we heard first about the faith of Abraham. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. Does this remind you of the first church I told you about? I don't think the pastoral intern knew where he was going or what God was preparing when he said that he would supervise those high school athletes a few times each week. The text continues. By faith, Abraham stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That church started with one simple act and focused on that for a while and did not expand for a while. But after some time, it became apparent that there was another need. So they trusted God and expanded their programming. They recognized that God was calling them to more, and they invested their resources in what were very clear needs in the community. The text continues. By faith, Abraham received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered God faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. That small inner city church expanded its influence. 
a once barren church, grew in numbers because they were willing to look beyond the needs of the church and look toward the needs of the community. That church began to tap other resources and find community partners. And that church didn't wince when expanding meant bringing in modern societies marginalized, those who had been incarcerated, and working to address their needs too. Again, the text continues, All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that that they had left behind, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. I think this church ultimately recognized itself as a homeland for those seeking community and those who needed a foundation. And they made it clear that the people of the community were neighbors and friends because when they developed that community dinner, they dined together. They refused the labels of them and us and instead embraced each other as neighbors and friends. I have to admit this morning that today's homily was one of the hardest for me to write in the 10 years that I've been writing homilies. And I can even tell you that the sermon title, Unexpected, is fairly unexpected because this did not come come to me until yesterday. And the reason it was hardest is because in talking with Pastor Brad and seeing the announcement sheet, it is clear that this church already holds close its neighbors and the marginalized and those in need. There are children's programs and relationships with community partners, and Brad has a fair amount of money to help people with rent and utilities and other emergency needs. I almost feel like anything I say is going to be preaching to the choir. But the second text this morning states, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. A friend of mine says that your checkbook or bank statement will make clear what you find important. And I bet that many of you could open your bank statement and see contributions to charity, to the church, and to many good causes. But I don't think that makes any of us free from asking, who is missing among us? Who is next? Where is God leading us to further our presence in this community and welcome this community into the life of this church? In a sense, it is really easy to address a need through a financial contribution, and really there's nothing wrong with that. But I wonder if maybe the challenge for a church that already reaches out to the community is to cast its nets in different waters and seek new ways to accomplish outreach. I wonder if the challenge for the church that has amazing institutional outreach and mission is to challenge and encourage personal outreach and mission. Don't get me wrong, I'm not asking you to wear a button that says, ask me about Jesus, or carry your Bible with you wherever you go. And if I'm being completely honest, I generally avoid those people who literally and figuratively wear Jesus on their sleeves. 
but there are ways that you can personally impact those around you, both those on the margins and those who are already a part of your life. I like to tell a story from my time at college to illustrate this idea. I had two friends who shared a Costco membership and they would make a weekly trip together. They would fill their carts and get more than enough of all of the great college foods that Costco has to offer. (laughs) And each week, they would stop at a stop sign on their route home where a man was holding a, a sign that said, hungry, anything helps. And each week, the driver would start to pray out loud for this man, God, give this man food and sustenance and lead him to you. Around the fourth week of them going together, passing the man in need and the driver praying out loud for this man to have sustenance, the passenger rolled down his window and started yelling toward the man. The driver was beside himself. What are you doing? He's going to come over here. But the passenger called out to the man and said, the box closest to you in the back seat is for you. The man took the box from the back seat and with tears in his eyes, thanked the passenger. The driver was livid. What were you thinking? I cannot believe you did that. The passenger paused and simply responded, now you don't need to pray for him to have food this week. The passenger took a very simple approach to this man's need. He saw the need. He saw a way that he could address that need. And the immediacy of that need was addressed. Often, simple is sufficient, and simple has an impact that we cannot fully understand. Getting involved may seem daunting, and realistically, very few of us are called to make major steps. Very few people are called to house a homeless person. Very few people are called to develop a feeding program. But what if we address hunger by making an extra lunch once a week and delivering it to that man holding the sign on the corner? What if we address homelessness by picking up an extra package of socks and giving it to someone who will be sleeping outside so that at least for a time, he or she can have warm and dry feet? Let's start even smaller. What if this week you write a note to a friend who's been going through a hard time? What about asking a neighbor that you don't know very well over for dinner? What if, what if you offered a babysit for somebody who just needs a break? There are simple ways of reaching out and there are simple ways of touching someone's life. And small actions can have a huge impact. These small actions can help others to know that they are not alone and that others are willing to bear part of the burden. Choosing to get involved is the first step but it's only effective if we are hospitable and welcoming to those who are otherwise on the margins. If others have a perception that the church is unwelcoming or judgmental or that they have to use the back door or that they're only there for a meal, it's unlikely that they will ever attempt to step foot in the church again. And it's unlikely that they will ever truly be a part of this beautiful body of Christ. So I have a challenge for you this week and in the weeks to come, and I have an advantage in that I'm coming back next week, so I can ask. (laughs) First, think of someone who's already in your life, who's facing a challenge or is going through a, a rough time. Send them a note or give them a call, and let them know that you are thinking about them and open the door to conversation. 
If it's a listening ear that is needed, give a listening ear. If they need to sit in silence because the pain of what they're going through is just too much, sit in silence. And nurture that relationship. Meet for coffee or provide a meal. Do something tangible. Touch their lives. Treat them as treasure and invest your heart accordingly. Who is missing from among us? Who is next? Where is God leading this church to further our presence in this community and welcome this community into the life of this church? Amen.